Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Justin Bennett. Hey, folks. Lucas Heisch. Hello, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We also have a special guest, and that's Dave Sedia. Hey, everyone. This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendo UI. Did I say your name right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> We've had you on the show before and I'm sitting there going, did I remember that right? Anyway, um, do you want to just remind people who you are since it's been a few weeks? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me back. So I'm uh, primarily like a React blogger. Um, I've been doing software development for like 10 years, JavaScript for like four-ish. So my primary thing right now is blogging about React and doing books and courses and that kind of stuff. Nice. And uh, we got you on this week to talk about React hooks. Yeah. You want to fill us in? Sure. So um, it was about a month ago now, I think, that Hooks was announced at ReactConf. Um, Sophie Alpert and Dan Abramov did a really cool keynote. And uh, Ryan Florence did a good talk on it too. Definitely check those out if you haven't seen them. So Hooks, basically, they let you they let you add state and life cycles to function components. So where previously, if you had a function component in React and you wanted to add some state or life cycle, you'd have to rewrite the thing as a class. And it was kind of a hassle. Hooks let you kind of like add those things as you need them to a function. Gotcha. So this is going to clean up a whole bunch of code, right? For people. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to, I think it's going to clean up a lot of code. I've, I've seen some of, some of the cool examples the community have made so far. And there's a lot of like, just like the code gets way simpler because just hooks kind of make it easier. I think, uh, especially like the way state is represented, it, it's all just shows up as a local variable and you can um, just use it right right there like a regular variable. You don't have to worry about, you know, updating class variables like this.state and that kind of stuff. So if I... I haven't looked into this a whole lot, but the, the model that I see in my head is like you have a function component. That function component is technically called like every time a render happens, right? Yeah. Uh, unless you do some optimizations. Um, so are these hooks then called like for every render? I mean, I think they would be, right? They are, yeah. Okay, interesting. So... How do, yeah, how does that work? What, the, yeah, what, the mental what? model is kind of weird. I mean, like the first time you see this, so you, you have a function and say the first line of that function calls a hook uh, like use state. And so it, it you pass in the initial state to, to use state and then it returns the, the state and like a setter function. And it's kind of jarring that the first time I saw it, I was like, how, how does that actually work? Like you're calling this you know, stateless function and <laughs> it's somehow somehow saving state between calls. So what React is doing behind the scenes is um, before it calls a component, it sort of sets up this effect. I think it's a linked list, but it's like you can think of it as an array of um, hooks or state cells or something like that. So it sets this up and then calls your component function to render. And if you... So it, so it kind of knows which component is rendering at the time. And if you call out to a hook, then it can say, okay, well, you know, component A is rendering and you just called use state. So use state is going to occupy the first cell in that array. And if you call use state three times, you know, three cells get occupied. So then uh, it can remember, you know, it, it stores that between renders um, for a component instance. And next time it re-renders, it'll sort of like reset the pointer to the top. And if you call use state, it'll be like, oh, I already have, you know, I already have some state in that cell. So I'll just return it instead of reinitializing it. 
So this very much looks like the new context API sort of. So like when you create a context, you know, it usually returns like a provider, consumer or whatever. So like the interface for instantiating a hook looks like the interface for instantiating uh, the context. I wonder if like there's like some shared sort of infrastructure behind the hood there, like if it is. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, context, you, you kind of create one outside the scope of a component you call, you know, create context and save that variable somewhere um, and you can export it and whatever. But I think that, I think that that meso model is, is, is a little easier to reason about. Like it's just, just more normal, I think. It hooks right. is a little it is a little different from that. I don't know how it works behind the hood. Maybe it's doing something similar because context it does seem like it has to keep track of um, which components use a consumer and knowing you know to be able to know when to re-render them and stuff. So yeah, right. But it just seems like React itself is like what's keeping track with that. Yeah, but yeah. it's React is the provider. <laughs> right, right, right. It's interesting. So Dave, do you? One thing I, I note uh, from, from, from the hooks is that it seems really simple to use, but really complicated to explain how it works, right? The good part is that we don't need to, to understand how something works in order to use it. But in real life, we always know that at some points, there is always like that weird like performance issue or why is it not working? And at some point, you need to at some point, you need to, to dive in and understand how it works. Do you think this is a problem with hooks? or I think the abstraction is pretty simple, but I do think that it, it sort of takes time to understand it up front. And I, I know at least my, like my personal experience was that it didn't really make sense to me until I wrote a couple little like toy examples with it. And I've heard that. I heard the same. I think, I think Dan Abramov said the same, that that was the experience. Even, even within the React team, when he first showed it to people, it was like, they're like, I don't know if I really like this and then they tried it out and they're like oh it's okay so yeah, yeah I, I think there is there's sort of like a activation energy there or something right you have to kind of get over that initial hump and then once it makes sense you, you're okay yeah i don't i think the past that initial hump i think the the abstractions are simple enough that that there probably wouldn't be a lot of like sneaky stuff going on behind the scenes that is going to slow you down or trip you up some of the hooks uh like use effect i think is is probably a little trickier to get right. I think that there's, you know, it's not going to be stuff that happens behind the scenes that trips you up, but it, it could be just like your usage of use effect in your own components um, because of the way it sort of has these subtle, like the dependencies array you pass in and um, just closures. I think closures have kind of bitten me. You know, I, I figured like, oh, I get it. I understand closures. That's fine. But then like playing with hooks again, like I, I got tripped up a couple of times. And I was like, wow, what's, what's going on with this? Um, it's just like use cases that I haven't done in a while. And yeah, I, so I, I think there are sort of like some stumbling points that people will run into. But once you figure out and you learn new patterns of like what to watch out for, and I think it happens pretty quickly. Yeah, the use effect uh, thing is interesting because it seems that maybe we we could say that like the two most fundamental ones are like use state and use effects, right? Yeah, yeah, like, pretty much. Everything else is either like derived from those or a little bit different, like with use layout effects and stuff, but they all like work similar to use effect, right? So I imagine that most most things will be like derived from from those two. Use state is pretty straightforward. Yeah. Straightforward. So straightforward. I'm sorry. 
pretty straightforward. <laughs> so, but the use effect is the one that, like, I'm I'm thinking now I'm gonna I'm gonna start talking about hooks in the front end guilds here at Zocdoc. So this teaching part of use effects, I, I I am already like feeling that this is gonna be like the weird part. Yeah, right? like it, the connection between the previous life cycles is not as straightforward. So how do you, how would you teach that? How, if a person t- t- uh, says like, oh, I, I want to learn hooks, like what do you think would be like the, a, a good like step to, to, to pass this knowledge? Um, so yeah, I think like you said, like use state is probably a good starting point because it's, it's just, it's, it's the first thing you'll run into where you're like, how is it storing state between renders and stuff? And once you figure that out, that'll get that out of the way. And then, you know, use reducer is very similar. So I've been sort of teaching them in the order of like use state, use reducer, um, and then maybe use context and use effect. Use effect last just because it's mm. sort of more complex. And I think with use effect, it's helpful to kind of just write one and put some console logs in there to see what it's doing. Because it just sort of like build a mental model of like, when does this thing run? It is, it's similar to, it's sort of like three life cycles. It's one in one. It's, it's kind of like component did mount and component did update and component will unmount depending on how you use it. And yeah, and so it can kind of emulate any of those life cycles, but out of the box, it, it's, it's more like it runs every single render and cleans up every single render. There's, there's some subtleties there where uh, <laughs> it's, it's helpful to just kind of like, yeah, do, do some logs and gain some intuition around how it works. Yeah. It, even though it's a little bit more complex in its usage, I, I still like the terminologies simpler. I mean, so like, React isn't necessarily super complicated, but when you get started with React, you're like, okay, what are these lifecycle hooks? When do these things get called? What are they doing? Why do I use them? When do I need to use this one versus another one? And just use effect, like this thing has a side effect. It, it just seems like hopefully it'll be a little bit more approachable. Granted, there are a lot of, like I've been reading up on this as we've been talking, and there are a lot of like complexities around that, but... Um, still, hopefully it's like simple, simplifying the mental model a little bit. So you don't have to think as hard about like, what is the life cycle that this thing is doing? Oh, and it's more like, yeah. what do I need to achieve? That's it. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I think if you, if you come at it, it'll be interesting to see how people approach it when they're you know, just learning React and they, they learn use effect without knowing what life cycles are. Because I think maybe it'll make more sense instead of like trying to take this, this idea of life cycles and map them over to this new thing. I think the docs kind of kind of hint at that too, the, the official books docs where they're they're like, you know, don't think of this as a new way to, you know, reorder your life cycles. Think of it as like it's a new thing, it's called an effect and you know, come at it from that angle. In that sense, it's interesting because I relate that a lot to like the difference between a for loop and a map function or a for each function, right? Like when we started programming. Long time ago, when I started programming a long time ago, we, there were like four loops everywhere, right? Yeah, me too. And then, and then when people would show, oh, you can now in this functional programming language or even like in JavaScript, you can use map to transform the thing. And I was like, I don't understand that. Like, it's like the for loop is so easy. Like, how do I transform my for loop into a map? But actually, if you go like two steps back, what you wanted to do from the beginning is like, I want to transform this array. I want to filter this array. So like actually map and filter resembles much more what you want to do. And the yeah. for loop was just like a way of implementing it. I feel that the life cycles are more like that. It, it's you, you don't want to like do stuff when component will amount. 
Like what you want is like you want to subscribe to an observable and then unsubscribe when you don't need anymore. So I think the effect abstraction is a better abstraction for like what do you want to have to happen in your application instead of reasoning about life cycles. Like we were always like trying to figure out what life cycles went everything. When do I subscribe? When do I subscribe? When do I fetch? When can I fetch? Like, and so I think that it's bad for people who are used to, to the life cycles as much as it was bad for, for me who was used to the for loop, right? Yeah. But now yeah. like I don't, I don't want to go back. Yeah, I know. I know. I feel the same way about the, the loops versus the functional stuff. Yeah. And that was kind of a mindset shift. I remember learning that stuff and thinking, I just don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. one, one thing that I want to add in here, though, is that once you figure out, you know what, I don't need to do four loops to transform my array because I have map, you have all this stuff that you wrote with four loops. And it's kind of the same now when we're talking about hooks, where I've written all this stuff that uses some other way of managing state or managing effects or managing life cycle. Is it worth going back and refactoring all that stuff? Or do you just keep moving forward and maybe go refactor it when you have to go fiddle with it? I mean, what, what's the best approach there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, that, I think especially in, in this sort of in this early phase of hooks, it's definitely better to kind of refactor as you need to. And actually right now they're, they're in alpha and I wouldn't really recommend going and like refactoring and rewriting all your code and hooks at all. But um, not the production stuff anyway. But uh, even once they're, you know, even once they're released, I think it'll make more sense kind of I think it'll just be more pragmatic to go through and, you know, as you touch a component, maybe update it to hooks or if you run into a problem, you know, update that component to hooks or something. But I think kind of going through and just a full sweep through your code, rewriting everything in hooks just so it can be on hooks, probably not super valuable. Charles, that that is a very interesting question because uh, Dem Abramov was saying that right on Twitter, like don't don't rewrite everything in hooks. And he said, like on Facebook, we have a bunch of our code still using create classes with mixed scenes. Mm-hmm. So this is this is an interesting like big like software decision to make. Do I rewrite everything? Is it okay to have like seven different ways of doing something in my code? Or how can we approach that? What triggers uh, this decision? Well an- another form of this question or maybe another use case for the same kind of thing is, you know, we, we have this way of doing things, you know, like you said, with the, the classes and the mix-ins, you know, I, I get my hooks hammer out because it's cool, you know, when, when is one more appropriate than the other? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question too. Um, it kind of seems like hooks, I think they solve most of the cases that you want to class, but there are some things that I think aren't handled yet, like um, error boundaries. I know there's like componented catch that lifecycle. I don't think there's an equivalent hook for that yet. And I think there might have been something else too, but I, I forget. So I think that, you know, there might be some cases where you still want to reach for a class, but, um, you know, for the, for the state and lifecycle-y stuff, states and state and effects, probably hooks are a good way to go. Uh, Lucas, you mentioned data fetching too, which is another sort of thing that'd be interesting to get into. Because I think, you know, right now, if you're going to fetch data, you probably do it in like component did mount or something, right? Or maybe did update depending on when you want to fetch. So, you know, use effect would be kind of the logical place to move that code right now. But it's tricky, um, especially if you especially if you write your effect wrong and don't get the dependencies array wrong, you can end up like calling your surfer in an infinite loop, which I've done a couple of times. And it's, uh, it's, 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 that's not great. So 
I think um, I, th- I know Dan Abramov has mentioned this too, where like the the data fetching story will get a lot better once suspense is out and and finalized the the like React cache side of suspense anyway. So I think he's he said a couple times I think to kind of like wait on data fetching until until that stuff is ready because um, you can do it now. It's just a little tricky to get right. So this is another uh, <laughs> another alert for migrating now, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I also, yeah, I think that a lot of the weird parts, they arise with you. So I remember when people started talking about random props, right? Everything that was shared um, functionalities, first it was mixings and then it becomes higher components. When we started using classes, we only had higher components and then came like the random props pattern. And people said, okay, let's, let's refactor everything to random props. First thing you, you, you encounter is like, oh, I want to call the function on component did mount or something like that. I want to use it in a life cycle. And then you're like, oh my God, it's a pain to use something in a life cycle when it's rendered prop. So you say like, oh, actually, maybe we still need higher uh, components. So this is the, probably this is going to be like the, the difficult part of, of hooks. Like they probably will do a bunch of things well, but now we have three ways of sharing functionality uh, in in React components. And with two ways, how are the components and render props? Sometimes people are read like, why do we have two ways of doing this? And now with the third way, it will add some confusion. I don't think we will be able to escape that. I hope that the simplicity that, that, that it brings is going to be larger than the the cognitive load of having three ways of doing something. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think we'll have three ways for a while, um, and we'll see how long that lasts. You know, yeah, I guess time will tell. Like whether hooks is sort of like categorically more powerful than either of the other methods. Like, can it do everything that both of the other two can, or are there some things that it doesn't work well for? It's interesting. So on the React site, they actually have an FAQ where they they sort of answer the or try to answer the question, should I use hooks, classes, or a mix of both? So it's it's a good thing to check out. One of the specific things that they say, like the last thing they say is like in the long, longer term, we expect hooks to be the primary way that people write React components. So it is interesting to know like in their head where they see this going. So definitely, if you haven't taken the time to learn it, now would be a great time. One of the questions I have, though, is how do you optimize for rendering of a component? Like, you don't want a component to, like, re-render every time. How do you affect that? I mean, because you're a functional component, right? The functional component's pretty much always going to render if it's parent, parent renders, right? Yeah, so so React, is it 16.6, I think, added... Um, there's a React.memo now. I think it was maybe called React Pure at first. Uh, anyway, it's called, it's called React.memo. And it works like pure components. You can it's it's a higher order component, and you can wrap your function in it, and it will um it will prevent re-renders. You can give it a second argument, which is like your comparison function too. So if you want to kind of implement your own should component update sort of thing, it's um I forgot yeah. all about that actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good reminder. It's, it's pretty nice. So it's interesting that React saying like hooks is going to be the main way of sharing functionality, but they are also providing higher order components, new ones now. I think hooks and and that higher order component of the React memo kind of move React another step towards more functional, mm-hmm. kind of away from the object oriented world. Um, React has always been sort of functional anyway. I think that the idea that your UI is just a function of your state, 
And um, I think this hooks in in that higher order component, kind of moving it more in that direction. Um, yeah, yeah it would have been nice to have that a while ago, I think. I think the React memo has been like a long time coming. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It would have been awesome. It seems like they're they're trying to get like move more and more into the declarative world. So now you have like declarative logic. So it's like yeah. you're using effect, you're you're using state, you're you're doing a thing instead of like, you know, hooking into this like structure of like a class or like some other sort of like set data structure. So it's like more use what you need. Um so it's a really interesting approach. I still have some concerns um, and my biggest being how people approach writing these components because like you have a lot of freedom now you can use use state as many times as you want you can use use effect as many times as you want you can like do all these things how does that gonna affect the quality and consistency of components that people write yeah that's a good question uh i mean react has, has never really been super I think like the, the the way React, so the tools it gives you have never been super dogmatic about like you must write your code this way. I think the community kind of decides like what the best practices of the week are and those change. Um, but I, I mean, I think hooks will come with their own sort of best practices that will evolve over time. So yeah, sure, certainly. I mean, I think you can you can write messy code with classes now, and I'm sure they'll you'll be you'll be able to write messy code with hooks too. But uh, I think hooks will maybe give it give you kind of a nicer way to keep your code cleaner. Um, I think the the custom hooks idea is is really sort of simple and really really powerful too, where you can just basically write a function and put a bunch of hooks and hook calls in there, and then kind of reuse that across components. So you can kind of get like this bundle of state and the effects that go along with that state and whatever else you need, and kind of be its own little package. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. One thing that Hooks is, is doing now, and I don't remember seeing in other React code bases, not even like a lot of JavaScript uh, code bases, is the using array destructuring as the default way of passing data. So wh- what do you think about that? Where, where do you think that came from and, and how helpful do you think it is? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I think it's... Um, I, I think... Sort of my initial reaction was was that I didn't like it all that much, but I think it's a good solution there because yeah. So if if you've used like use state or use reducer, both of those functions return an array of two things. It's always an array of two things. It's always like the the state value, and then the second argument or the second element is the is the setter function. And the advantage of using arrays over like object destructuring, if it returns an object that had like value and unchanged or something. The disadvantage with the object, I think, is that you, you'd be f- sort of locked into using those names and renaming them every time. So if you destructured that object, you'd have value and unchanged, which you, which you might want to rename to, you know, name and set name or something. Um, whereas with the array, you, you get to decide whatever, you get to decide the variable names you uh, for your state and your setter. Just makes it a little... A little more streamlined, I think. Um, I think people people do sort of, sort of dislike that, and I I sort of get where that comes from. That that feeling of like, well, this function returns just like a bunch of things, and you have to sort of know what those things are and what order they're in and everything. But I think what it, it's only in this case, it's only two, it's only ever two, and like I think once you learn what they are, it's it's pretty easy. But I I do think people I, I've seen some people be confused. I think by the array destructuring just because. 
they've seen object destructuring all over the place and they're used to that now. But array destructuring is like, oh, I haven't seen what is this, what does this do? And it's like, oh yeah, it's it's the same as objects. You just get to decide the names. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it's more if you think more about like if it's if you think more of a tuple instead of an array, is that how you yeah. pronounce tuple? Is that how, the way you pronounce it? I've never really been sure about that, but yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So if you are are not sure, then I'll feel better. So yeah, if you think more yeah, if you think more about a tuple instead of an array, because an array is like a list, it can change sizes. What do you mean? Like it's returning something that can change. No, it, it cannot change size. It's just like these two, it's going to be this order forever. Probably if you use TypeScript, it's going to be typed. So it's going to be, it's going to help you. Right? Yeah. And other languages have had a data type called pair, right? Yeah. Where which Which is basically this. It's like a, a set of two things and they can be whatever they want and they don't have to be the same type and whatever. So, I mean, this is, you could think of this as a pair. It's basically what it is. Yeah. But I've already seen some custom hooks libraries that the authors decided to return an object. Yeah, I've seen those. I've seen a couple of those too. Yeah, I mean, it, the nice thing about custom hooks is you you can do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess this will be another one of those things where some libraries you use might return arrays and some of them might return objects. I saw one example, I think it might have been Kent C. Dodds, maybe an example from him where he was returning an object. But I noticed that one of the property names was just called on. And it was like it was the it was like uh-huh, the yeah. you know on whatever thing, but it was nice and short. And I think it was in, I, he didn't mention this, but I assume it was like intentionally short so that like if you want to rename it, it's just like on colon your name, and it's just kind of you know syntactically light, which I think is sort of the the point against if you, if you have a an object with like long property names, you've got to rename them every time. It just it just would look boilerplatey and like be a pain if you had like three pieces of state and you had to pull them all out and rename them all. I think it also makes it kind of harder to reuse too. Maybe you know, kind of um, you're sort of locking people into some property names. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So uh, another thing... uh... I'm thinking about when I think of hooks, right? We've been working with front-end for a long time now, and I think I've already worked with maybe, I don't know, 37.6 different frameworks, <laughs> right? Throughout the times. They're always changing. We were always like trying to, to, to look for the next one. And something really interesting seems to be happening in React is that React is changing, like React itself is changing Almost like if you look at three different iterations of React, it it looks like three different frameworks. If you compare like with like the old days, like they they would be like three different frameworks. But 
So w- what do you think is different now? Like if we say, okay, let's migrate to hooks, how, how different in practice is it saying like, okay, let's migrate to another framework? Uh, I think it's it's sort of a different play on the same ideas. I don't think it really changes the underlying assumptions of React and sort of the underlying that idea that your you know your UI is a function of your state. I think maybe it just moves a little closer to that. But it, it is interesting though that 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 we have sort of like the community is sort of stabilized on a few like big frameworks. You know, there's pretty much like Angular, Vue, and React. And it, it's interesting that like instead of Hooks being a totally new framework that someone comes up with. It's an innovation within one of these existing top frameworks. And I saw, I think after like maybe the day or two after Hooks was announced, it was the same day. Like um, Evan Yu, the creator of Vue, released like Hooks Review or something too. <laughs> so it's interesting that like the model, maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's portable too. Yeah. It's a really interesting idea. Vue definitely takes a lot of inspiration from React in a lot of ways. Um, so it's it's really interesting to see what they have done with that. They're even playing with like a, a suspense sort of model in Vue now. But um, I almost see like the evolution of React is getting, taking that, I mean, since it released till now, it's just been getting closer and closer to that kind of ultimate vision of being like, this functional representation of UI and state. Um, and, and I think just from what I see on the outset now that, that Hooks does kind of seem like it is getting us closer to that to that model. So it's been really interesting just over time to watch the design patterns that's come from React and like the different approaches and techniques. And, and yeah, it's what keeps it exciting and interesting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I th- I think my my take on that is that you can look at it as like a, a new framework, but I really like that they are doing like a smooth transition work. Like you can still have your old code working. You don't need to migrate everything to use this new cool stuff. So it's a, a smoother new framework. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that better, but it's like just like a, I, I, I like the effort that they that they put on making sure that they're not breaking current stuff. So this yeah. is a part. The, the way that I see a lot of this is more along the lines of the way I see the browsers, because we have these evergreen browsers, right? So whenever Chrome adds a feature or you know adds some capability to the browser, it doesn't necessarily change the fact that it's, it's a new browser, right? But it, it does open up new possibilities. And it's the same thing with React. I think Angular and Vue also have this same thing going for them now where they're not looking to change a lot of the underlying structure. I remember the pain that people went through Angular 1 to Angular 2, you know, and, and those major changes. But yeah, at this point, they're, they're sort of evergreen. They're evolving with the community. And something like Hooks, especially to me, just looking at it and going, okay, you don't have to go through this process of creating a class and writing all this boilerplate code. You can just stick it in where it naturally goes on an otherwise functional component. It just makes a lot of sense to me. And so they're looking at it, they're watching people's workflows and they're saying, hey, we think this will make life better. And so, yeah, you just get that, that incremental step forward. And as far as, you know, Justin brought up the vision of what React is, I, I don't think that means that the framework ever stops evolving because what we're doing with it and what the web is capable of is going to continue to evolve. And so as long as they have the, the sort of vision in mind as far as what they want the framework to provide to people, 
um, they can continue to iterate on that to provide that to people in whatever context the web currently is. Makes sense. That's a good take. Yeah, they, they actually just published a new a uh, React 16x roadmap, which um, Dan, I think, wrote up the other day. And they, so like they've, they've got stuff they've been talking about is in there, um, suspense and hooks and concurrent mode mm-hmm. and suspense for data fetching and then some suspense server-side rendering. But yeah, I think they've they've got a lot of work ahead of them and um, a lot of cool stuff to come. I think they do really do it. Uh, they, they have always done a really good job of you know, not breaking stuff. <laughs> they've always been really conscious of really releasing stuff as non-breaking changes first or, you know, like in the case of hooks, it's just an additive change. It doesn't break anything else. It's not going to replace anything else. And yeah, I think that's the yeah. really way to go. They release stuff and they say like, do not overhype it. But they super hype the releases on Twitter and stuff like that. So it's like for two months, this is like I'm working on something secret that I believe people have to be gonna love, have to people are gonna hate. And they're like, oh my God, what is it? And there's like suspense and don't overhype it, people. And it's like, how can I not overhype it? You've been like hyping it for two months. And there is like almost like a Broadway show like to to show the, the the new shiny two and it's all like Dan Abramov with those like dramatic pauses to drink water and you're like what's happened next and so it's it's funny like the the way that they super hype the the releases and then and then like correctly say like people do not overhype that but it's it's like a big signals that I, I find it it fun but it's like interesting to to to, to see. Yeah, I think the community just like jumps on and, and goes crazy with it too. I mean, like I didn't go to ReactConf, but I was like watching the live stream and watching Twitter and it's just, it was, it was crazy. It was like Hooks Mania. Yeah, it, it feels like a, like a football game. Like people are like cheering and then like mm-hmm. laughing and moments of like uh, horror and moments of like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Would you say moments of suspense? <laughs> <laughs> I feel another episode coming on. <laughs> yes. Let's not overhype the other episode, but like half of you are going to love <laughs> our episode of suspense and half of you are going to hate it. So I'm, I'm really interested in uh, just going back to the hooks conversation. Well, more broadly, I guess, react changes in the idea of migration paths. So Lucas, you, you brought up earlier that Dan had tweeted out that like, you know, Facebook has a lot of like legacy React like components that are using mixins and using uh, Create React class and things like that. And it's like, sure, it works. You you don't need to touch it. Hopefully, and and it's great. But that's not always the case. Um, and, and especially, you got to think about as the further and further you shift away from these previous uh, models, the more and more like just cognitive disconnect there is so when you switch into that part of the code base the harder it is to grapple around like this thing versus the things that you've been working on so in that i think it's really good for teams to kind of come up with like common standards of the things that they want to support and when those standards change come up with a good migration path it's like okay we're using this paradigm here we want to migrate to this. Now, I'm definitely not the kind of person who ever says you should rewrite code just to rewrite code because, I mean, rewriting can often be harmful, introduce new bugs, it's expensive. But so what do y'all think about like migration paths? Like what would you say to your team if like, hey, we want to do React hooks. It's like, well, what do we do with all this other code? Yeah, I think uh, 
it's 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 going to be the new shiny thing. I think people are going to want to do that. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, in terms of migration paths, I think they've. I forget if they've mentioned that code mods work for some of the features and not all of them, or something like that. Um, I think there are certain things that code mods can't do to translate old class code to hooks. So I'm not sure if there's if there's like a clear automated migration path, which that would be kind of an optimal way to do it if it was possible. I guess. Yeah. You decide you want to do hooks, just migrate all the code automatically. But um, yeah, I think it ends up being kind of a component by component thing, unless you unless you want to devote a ton of time to refactoring, and then and it's kind of a you have that rewrite problem. I mean, I think this this problem comes up in general where anytime you have like a new new framework or a new approach or something like that, do you? It's sort of a philosophical question of like, do you do you have to eventually get your code base to have only one of those, or is it okay to have multiple? And then, and then, how do you do that? You know, if, if if you do want to migrate, do you do it in one fell swoop? Do you devote like a bunch of sprints to it, or do you, you know, just kind of like chip away at it as you as you touch those files? You know, the yeah the principle of like leave it better than you found it sort of thing. Like where yeah. if you go and open a file, then you have to convert it from convert it to hooks or something. I don't know. Yeah, from that, like I can see like two scenarios. We have like one scenario where we have like a really big company that has a lot of front-end specialists. Uh, maybe for that scenario, you can say like leave what you have untouched and write the new stuff with hooks. And front-end specialists will know, or at, at least like they, they will know where to look if, you, if they find like a node mixing code and bring it to hook. But I feel a little bit, uh, this, this option is, is not really good if you have like a smaller company with like, I don't know, like 20 devs and most of the devs are like uh, full stack that do not touch a front-end code a lot of the time. So then at this point, being a consistent is much more valuable than having something that is perfect. So this is, uh, for instance, uh, Maybe uh, it, here here at ZocDoc, we're like maybe not with 20 people or more, maybe 100 devs, but we were uh, experimenting with Cypress tests, right? And at some point, we have like new tests being written in Cypress, old tests running Selenium. So we put like a, a final day for Cypress evaluation. Like on this day, uh, the Cypress experiment will be over. We'll evaluate if we like Cypress more than Selenium and we're going to migrate the old tests. And probably that's what, what's going to happen. But like, because we felt that like two frameworks, two runtimes and stuff, that was like kind of, it, it's, it's more, it's better to have like just one way of doing it for people who do not touch a lot that that, that same part of the code are not specialists in that thing. It's easier, like, to document and to make sure that people ramp up uh, quickly. So this is my, like, I can't understand, like, Facebook. Facebook probably, I don't know, like, how many. Facebook has probably like hundreds of people working on the Facebook website. Yeah, I think they've got like tens of thousands of components too. Yeah, it's yeah. like so. There's a bunch of like smart specialist people that are like, all right, if I find a mix-in in front of me, I'll know how to migrate or at least. Like, so I'm uh, I'm known for my my random ideas, and I have a notebook <laughs> full of these, and I just got another one. Uh, so have y'all seen the? There's been like several times where it's like, is suspense ready yet, or is like some feature ready yet? Um, and they'll like as the tests pass, you'll get like this thing that's like greener and greener. 
Um, so maybe what we need is a tool that can just like go through a code base and like pull out like, oh, all these components are using class components. All these components are functional and like, you know, like map out the features or whatever. So you can say, are we ported to hooks yet? <laughs> and just like give you a percentage. Yeah, that'd be cool. Put that on a dashboard. There you go. I will say, um, I'm not a big fan of just going in and doing a whole bunch of refactoring just for the sake of, you know, refactoring. But the flip side of that is, is that, you know, we, we've talked about some of the processes here, but the the flip side of that is, is if you keep everything consistent, like uh, Lucas said, then essentially you're in a place where somebody can onboard, right? And they're not going to run across this weirdo class thingy, you know, a year or two down the road and be going, what the heck is this? And so, you know, if you adopt this because it is nicer in a lot of cases, then I really love the approach that that he had there where he essentially said, you know what, we started playing with it. And then once we decided to adopt it, then we had a drop dead date where they were all gone. And so then what you can do is you can work in because now it's technical debt, right? You have this technical debt on your project. So yeah, so you work it in when you go work on stuff, realizing that anything you don't hit by the drop dead date is stuff that you're going to have to go refactor, you know, just to move it just to get everything consistent again. I think a lot of times you have to figure that cost in. You know, it's interesting too, because Lucas, you talked about big companies versus small companies. I don't know that it really makes that much of a difference because the lack of consistency, it kind of hurts more in smaller companies when you onboard something, somebody than bigger companies. But the flip side is, is that at the bigger companies, you, you have more decentralization of knowledge. And so it can really hurt you there too, because you may not realize that somebody isn't on, on board or aware of what's going on as, as easily as you would in a smaller company. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know that these are all concerns and they all weigh in, but I, I, I really don't know if there's a right way. I think what you need to do is you need to sit down with your team and just say, look, um, are we going to adopt this or not? And if we do adopt it, then, yeah, what's our plan to move forward? Yeah, the, 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 the part that, that I was thinking about big companies is two things. It's first of all, usually big companies have like a much larger code base. So the mm-hmm. migration is much more costly, right? True. And also, big companies can afford having this super specialist. You can afford having like a React specialist mm-hmm. in a big company, right? And you can't not afford someone who is not doing full stack work on a smaller one. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. But, that, but that's like one, I think this is one of the fundamental issues of like software engineering. Like it's much, much larger than front end or React, right? This is like, when when is it okay to have one or the other? Like people, I imagine onboarding someone on on the Facebook project must be like really painful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't envy their onboarding process. <laughs> well, unless you can onboard somebody onto a really narrow part of the application, but I don't know if they're arranged that way or not. Yeah, like like how do you run the application? Even if you're going to work on a small part. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, just the build process. Yeah, I think it's interesting. There's another sort of angle on this, the the, the team composition too. I think in, in terms of like whether you have uh, the full stack versus specialist people, and also maybe whether you have a lot of juniors or not. Because especially as we as time goes on, you know, the, the juniors are going to know hooks, but they won't know create class at all or whatever, right? So like maybe you have sort of like this mix of people now where they're, they're like 
they don't know hooks yet, but they know the old stuff and they can sort of translate between it. And you'll have these newer people who only know how to do the new thing just because that's all they've been exposed to. So you have sort of like a like a upfront maybe training cost or something there too. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. There's a lot of different different things to consider. I know I've been on teams where it was a small team um, and we we just the way we divided responsibilities was we had a few back end developers and a few front end developers. And so it was myself and one other front end developer. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that worked well. But even 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 with just two of us, I think you know there were definitely times where we both wanted to try out some new pattern we'd seen, and so we'd the, the new code that we touched, we'd write in the new pattern that we wanted to, and so we ended up with this mishmash of different patterns and stuff. So even on a small team, it was kind of like, well, you know, developer A knows how to do this file, and developer B knows how to do this file, and <laughs> one of these days maybe we'll merge them all together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. Well, yes. and to some degree, you get that anyway. I mean, just out of dom- domain knowledge. Yeah. I think that one thing that we don't often enough just admit to is like sometimes there's no right answer. It's like they're just a series of trade offs. And it's like you're going to have to bite some bullet, but you know, you just got to figure out like what you're willing to live with and what you can't live without, I guess. Um, choose, choose, choose our yep. poison. Yeah. Try not to take too big of swings all up front. <laughs> Don't like spend three months on one thing that you're not sure about. Just like yeah. take a few days, test it out, iterate. Yeah. I, I, I like the, yeah. I like one day I, I've heard like one, it's like you need to choose your poison, right? You need to choose, you need to just choose one path and it's not going to be a perfect, but I've heard like, but choose one that you believe that in the future it's going to be easier to change. Mm-hmm. So if you are, if you're not happy with what you have today, and you're not sure if you're going to migrate like from React to React Hooks or migrate to I don't know like Framework X that just appeared, maybe React is the safer route in terms of like future changes. Uh, so maybe this can help a little bit, like choosing, like choose the, the one that you can iterate out of it in the future. Do not make big revolutions, right? Well, I think a lot of times, yeah, we're aiming for something perfect. And instead, yeah, just go for something better. Something that'll work. It's a metaphor for life. Getting deep. (laughs) Real deep. (laughs) Can I TDD my life? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Now that would make a good podcast. There you go, Charles. TDD life. (laughs) TDD your life. Nope, nope. That'll screw up my kids. (laughs) <laughs> it's got to be red first it's got to fail first you got to make sure they fail and then make them <laughs> fail first and then pass what does refactoring look like <laughs> complicated that's funny so good oh all right well anything else we want to harp on before we get to picks i'm good all right does anyone have any good resources for people to go look at hooks and see what people are doing with them because as we mentioned, this is alpha. So I, I assume that the way people are thinking about this is going to evolve a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, just checking out the React docs, they have um, a hooks intro or introducing hooks like section. So it kind of goes through like what it is at a glance and like using state hook and effect hook and you know different rules and everything. So they give pretty like concrete examples. I think it does a good job. Do any of you have blogs on this yet? Yeah. So the the week after Hooks came out, I did this, I called it Hooks Week. I just did like a new post every day on a different hook. Um, and you could, that said, davesedia.com slash hooks. 
Um, we'll just bring you to like the tags page and all the posts are right there. Um, I also did a, what was it last week? I think, yeah. Um, I did a, a talk on hooks, like a guided tour of a few hooks, kind of inspired by the blog posts and stuff. And that's up on React Boston YouTube channel. I can put a link in the show notes. Very cool. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs. And this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash react. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Uh, Justin, do you want to start us off with picks? Oh man, uh, sure. Uh, so I've got I've got a few today. Um, so Zeit, uh, the company behind uh, Next and all of the a bunch of other cool tools, released this tool called NCC. Um, it's a Node Compiler Collection. So essentially, what this does is it's a little CLI tool to wrap up all your Node JS dependencies for a particular Node application. So it'll go through and pull out all the dependencies from node modules that it needs and just give you like this kind of like flat thing that you can run. Um, so if you have like this node script that you need to run on like some production server, you don't have to ship the entire node modules bundle. Um, so it like uses Webpack behind the hood and all that stuff. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so definitely check that out. Another thing, and I'm sure a lot of people are aware of this, but more and more lately, when I stand up personal projects, I don't reach for Webpack. Uh, not to say anything about Webpack. I, I love it. It's, it's amazing. It's powerful. But it also it can be confusing and takes a lot of configuration time and a lot of love. Um, so I've been using Parcel uh, a lot recently. Um, and it just works super well. Uh, so I've got a Chrome extension that I was building. Um, the Chrome extension needed like a web view, it needed a background script, it needed like, um, yeah, just like all these different like types of build configurations and like each type of build ended up just being one parcel command. So it just saved me a ton of time where I didn't have to think about like, is this a web app? Is this a JavaScript library? What is this? How do I configure it? It's just like I run one command and it's done. Um, and I, I cannot stress like how amazing that tool is. And the last thing, this is just something that was trending on GitHub today, and I thought it was really fun. Uh, there's this thing called uh, NES.CSS. So it's like an NES-style CSS framework, and it looks kind of cool. Uh, I, like, I like retro stuff like this, so it's, it's like really fun. <laughs> Check that out. That's me. Awesome. Lucas, what are your picks? So my picks today, uh, I really, really love uh, working with today's machines studying them, state charts in general. And it was the version four of XState library was released. And it's a really good library to, to work with state machines in, in JavaScript. Dave, uh, Dave Piano is the main contributor. 
make an amazing job. Like the new visualizer is awesome. So I think it's going to be much easier to start adopting now. And also, since we talked about hooks, there's already a use machine hook. So <laughs> there's a way of using state machines with hook in React. I'm also linking to it. It's impressive like how simple the code is to like integrate the library with, uh, with a hook. So it's also like um, a way of learning a little bit about custom hooks, just looking at the code. Like it's, it's really neat. So these are my picks. Awesome. Uh, Dave, what are your picks? So I've got, I've got two. Uh, one is the code. So Code Sandbox is a super awesome live editor. Probably people have seen that already. Um, but if you haven't, check that out. But the, the thing I wanted to call out about it was that they have a fairly recent, I think, live mode, which is pretty handy if you are doing any sort of like, you want to like collaborate in some code with people or show people how to do something, just kind of like showing a de- quick demo or something like that. I, um, I tried it out for the first time a couple of weeks back at a meetup where we were talking about hooks and people wanted to see some demos. And I was like, sure, hop on this live thing. I hope it works. But uh, it works great. So <laughs> it's, it's like Google Docs for code. And everyone can see what I was typing and kind of like th- they can dive in and try things themselves too. So it's really cool. The other one is um, a new book that came out. Uh, a guy called James Clear released a book called Atomic Habits, um, which has been pretty good. I'm, I'm about halfway through it. And it's a, it's, a, it's a good book on how to kind of like learn how to build new habits and break bad ones. And I feel like all that stuff is pretty useful in terms of uh, getting into, you know, making time for learning new stuff in, in the development world and also kind of keeping yourself healthy and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that's at atomichabits.com if you want to check that out. Sounds good. And do you want to just remind everybody where to find you online? Sure. I'm, I'm at primarily at davesedia.com, davecedia.com. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at dsedia. Awesome. Now, um, one other thing that I'm just going to shout out about, I realized I didn't do my picks. First of all, we are still doing the Mastermind Group uh, webinar. Um, we kind of did a, a mishmash of panelists because last week was Thanksgiving and some shows got recorded and some didn't. So yeah, we we pulled all the framework shows together, uh, Angular, React, and Vue. And uh, yeah, if you go to mastermindhunt.com slash devchat, uh, we're going to be talking about how to essentially pull together a mastermind group so that you can find other people who will help you level up. And I'll be on there. I think Sean and Eric are doing the primary presentation. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be on there being a smart aleck. So definitely join in and check that out. Um, I also want to remind people about the uh, Get a Coder Job book. Um, that's at getacoderjob.com. I also have a video course that I'm working on. And by the time this goes live, it might be out. Uh, no promises, but definitely check that out as well. And yeah, uh, th- those are my picks. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, guys. And we will talk to everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.